Thank you, Emerge team, for leading us in worship today. Every Sunday, they are so faithful and they do a great job, uh, as well as the folks up in the booth upstairs who um, provide the sound and the lighting. We're, we're grateful for all who help to make our worship so meaningful. I hope you'll take your worship bulletins this morning and just notice some things that are coming up in the coming week or coming weeks. I, I do want to remind you, this is not in your worship bulletin, but next Sunday, can you believe it, is Labor Day weekend. It, it's already hit us again. I, I mean, I just thought that Memorial Day happened last weekend. And already it's, it's Labor Day. <clears throat> so we will reinstitute our summer schedule from the month of July, and we will have only one worship at this hour, so you won't have to make any changes if you're in town. Uh, no Sunday school next week, so we just hope you'll come and be a part of worship. I also want to remind you that we are uh, in the process of nominating men and women to serve as our deacons for next year. We'll have a class that will be rotating off and a new class that we will be electing, and so I want to ask you to be very prayerful. You have perhaps already received your deacon ballots in the mail, as I have, and I hope you'll go through that study list and you invite God to guide you as we select those men and women to serve us in the coming year. And you'll also notice in your worship bulletin that we restart our Wednesday night schedule. This Wednesday, we will have a meal at 515. If you want to be a part of that meal, you need to contact the church office to let us know you're coming. And then we have some people who have been on mission trips, either this summer or over the last year. And Wednesday night, they're going to be here to tell us a little bit about their experiences at 615. So I hope you will um, put that on your calendar, be a part of that time together. Okay, folks, grab your Bibles. If you've got a pew Bible in front of you or a mobile device, or maybe you brought a Bible, we're continuing to look at some of the women of the New Testament. And you've already seen with the video that we showed with our children that we're looking at the widow in the temple in Jerusalem. And according to the text, she actually offers two copper coins. Now, in order to understand this text better, I think it's important that we read a couple of verses before we get to this story. And then we read a couple of verses following the story. So let's move to verse 38 of Mark chapter 12. Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses. Now, what Jesus exactly meant by that statement, I don't think we're fully aware. There are some thoughts about what that means, but it seems that it may well have been that these religious leaders were taking advantage financially of some of these widows. But hang on to that phrase because we're getting ready to meet a widow. So we're going to put those two together. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place 
where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Now let me just pause to say that the giving of offerings in the temple was a public event that people did. There was no writing the check or taking the cash and putting it confidentially in the envelope and putting it in the treasury. It was all done very publicly. That's how we know what people were giving here. Jesus was able to see it just as clearly as anyone else. We often, I often hear people say, you know, we really need to go back and do things like they did in the Bible. Okay, <clears throat> are you wanting to go to that location and start making all of your offerings public? Everything you give financially to the church, everybody's going to know. Maybe you've got second thoughts about following the biblical model in that regard. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on, or literally all of her livelihood. Now let's keep on reading. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all of these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And indeed, this prediction that Jesus makes now is fulfilled in approximately 40, 41, 42 years. In AD 70, the Romans decimated the city of Jerusalem and destroyed the Jewish temple. Jesus' prediction came true. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm sure that... <clears throat> that my work as a pastor is no different than some of the things that you do professionally, vocationally. My work as a pastor is such that I am never sure how my week is going to end based on how it began. And I'm also interested at how my week is often impacted in terms of the sermon that I preach the following Sunday. I didn't realize that the newsletter column that I wrote on Monday night would have an impact on today's sermon. See, I got the word on Monday, hey, we're putting out uh, another newsletter. You should be getting it in the mail in the next several days. We're putting out another newsletter. So, Pastor, if you want to write a column, you better get to it. So, Monday night, I heard the word Monday. So, Monday night, I sit down and I think a little bit about what's going on in the world. And I thought about Monday's total solar eclipse. How many of you saw the total, total solar eclipse? Did you see it with those special glasses or did you cheat and look up at it and do damage to your retina? Uh, we saw a little bit of the effect here. I was actually driving to the hospital to visit some Oakmont members in the hospital and I just noticed suddenly as I was driving that it just got darker. Not completely dark, 
but it got darker. Now, what was interesting about Monday's total solar eclipse is that it was the first total solar eclipse that we've had in our country in 99 years. It was coast to coast, and there was a, you know, a swath of territory across the continental United States. So that's what made it unique. So I went home and I wrote a newsletter column about the total solar eclipse. And of course, you know what an eclipse is. It's solar eclipse is when the moon comes between our position as we're looking at the sun on the earth and it blocks some of the sun's rays. Here's what I thought about on Monday night as I wrote that column. Monday's event made me wonder how often do we let people, priorities, decisions, and other events get in the way of our service and our devotion to God? How often do we let those things literally block, just like the moon blocked the sun's rays? How often do we let other things or the people or the priorities block our love, our service, our relationship to God? It made me ask the question, the personal question, so Greg, what's your block? What is it that's blocking your service, your love, your devotion to God? What's in the way? And it made me think about you. What's your block? What is it that gets in the way of your service and your devotion? What is it that keeps you from being all in in terms of your commitment to God and to His church? Imperfect though that church is on so many occasions, imperfect because guess what? It's composed of people whose collective imperfections often stink up the place and don't make it such a good place to be. So that's the question I was chewing on on Monday night. And then as I really started looking at this text today about the widow, it made me really think about what is it that blocks us from being all in? Because Mark's story in this text gives us a widow who gave up all that she had to live on. She's an example, clearly, of somebody who is all in. But maybe she's all in in ways that we haven't considered. Now, let's set the scene. We're in the temple in Jerusalem. We're in the area that's called the Court of the Women. And inside the Court of the Women, there are 13 trumpet-like containers that are standing on the floor. If you can imagine what a trumpet looks like, these containers, these boxes, have the larger part of the trumpet on the floor, and the part of the trumpet you would blow into is sticking up on the top, and that opening is what the people are putting their gifts in, and it falls to the bottom to the larger part of the box or the container. So there are 13 of them. And Jesus has been engaged, you know, with the people and the Jewish re religious leaders. And he's sat down for a while. And he's, he's watching this public scene of the people coming into the temple, bringing their gifts, their tithes, God's tithes, and their offerings to the temple treasury. The wealthy folks, the more well-to-do folks, are coming in and the big bills are very obvious being laid into the container. And, and you know, they're kind of proud, they're kind of happy about being able to make a very generous gift. And then the widow comes. And she places in those 
one of those 13 trumpet-like containers, she places two lepta, L-E-P-T-A, plural, singular would be a lepton, two copper coins, two lepta. A lepton is one, think about this now, is one-sixteenth of a penny. The word lepton means a thin one. One-sixteenth of a penny. It's thin, isn't it? She puts in two lepta, which means she's given, what? An eighth of a penny as her gift to God. Now, you know, people who read the text here come out on a couple different ends in terms of interpreting the text. One place that people come out lands on this side. Is Jesus commending generous, sacrificial giving of this woman? In comparison to the less than sacrificial giving of the more well-to-do, wealthy folks who are dropping the big bills into those trumpet-like containers, this woman clearly is all in. I mean, she gave up her very livelihood. The text says, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on, literally her entire livelihood. So that's one way you can go in this text. Jesus was commending generous, sacrificial, gracious giving. Even giving to the point of giving everything up that you have such that you believe that God will care for you and sustain you even after you've made that sacrificial gift. Now that's one way you can go. Here's another direction that you can go, a second reading of the text. The second reading of the text is that, in fact, Jesus is not commending the widow. He is not affirming what she did. He is not suggesting that that is what she should have done. The fact is, Jesus is not commending the woman. He is lamenting the brokenness of the temple system and the lack of integrity that the Jewish religious leaders have. Because notice the verses that we read before this story. Notice that Jesus is noting that these religious leaders love wearing those long, flowing robes signifying their office. They love the public acknowledgments of their status. They love the fact that they're given the best seats when they show up at the synagogue or when they go to some you know, location for a banquet. They love being in the marketplace and being recognized. They love saying those long and lengthy and flowery prayers, which, by the way, are probably not offered for the benefit of God, but for public consumption so other people can hear how good they pray. And apparently, these Jewish religious leaders were taking advantage of folks like this poor widow by placing them on a guilt trip that they've got to support financially an institution that has become corrupt and self-serving. Jesus is not commending what the widow did. He's lamenting the fact that these religious leaders are heaping guilt on this woman into giving everything that she owns to a fraudulent system, to a temple system, which later on in chapter 13, Jesus says is going to be destroyed anyway. 
The long and short of this interpretation is that Jesus is sitting there in the temple and he watches the woman put in everything he, she has and with feelings of deep sorrow and remorse is essentially saying, you just threw your money down the drain, sister. You're giving your money to a Jewish religious system called a temple and these religious leaders who are out to take you for everything you've got. You ought not to have done that, woman. You've given everything you have for naught. Now, is Jesus commending generosity? Or is he lamenting giving money to a fraudulent religious system? I thought of another alternative this week. You know, I drive a couple of hybrid vehicles, so I often think about gasoline and electricity working together. So this is a hybrid approach. This is putting two together. Could it be that Jesus is actually doing both? Yes, there are some things broken in the temple system. Just like there are some things that are broken in today's church's system. There are some things in that day and age, and yes, there are some things in our day and age in terms of church life that needs to be changed. It needs to be reformed. It needs to be updated. It needs to be buried or shifted or eradicated or perhaps reinforced. And yet, this woman has an all-in mentality that despite all of the junk and all of the filth and all of the dirt that imperfect people bring to an imperfect church or temple in her case, she is a generous giver ultimately, not to the system, but she's a generous giver to her God to whom she owes her ultimate allegiance. So let's go back to Monday's solar eclipse event for a moment and let's ask that question one more time so what's blocking you and what's blocking me from being all in with our God let me take you back to another event that happened this past Monday it was a conversation that I had with two of our other ministers we were discussing last Monday the perpetual challenge of filling church leadership positions I went to seminary because I wanted to be a pastor one day, but I didn't go to seminary thinking that I'd spend a lot of my time trying to talk people into doing things that would represent using their gifts that God had given them. I didn't realize that I was going to have to spend as much time as I do, and I didn't realize that I was going to have to spend as much time as I do coaching our staff and working with them and thinking with them about how to challenge people to use what God has given them. You know, I think we do a lot of good things here at our church that helps people grow and mature spiritually. We work hard to have good stuff on Sunday morning for preschoolers, elementary children, middle and high school students, college students, and adults of all ages 
you, you can call it Bible study, small group, Sunday school, whatever you want to call it. We work hard to make it possible. We work hard on Wednesday night to have good, solid offerings again for preschoolers, children, youth and adults in Bible study, missions and music. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons that I have gray hair today instead of brown, like I used to, is the frustration of trying to help people to see that God has gifted them and that these groups that we have, whether it's missions, music, Bible study, spiritual formation groups, these groups need good, solid, faithful leaders. You don't have to know everything about the Bible in order to help people grow spiritually, but we need people to help shepherd these small groups that have folks in them who are Jesus followers, who are trying to grow and mature in their faith. And i got to tell you, some days and weeks we get more no's than we get yeses. And in a church this size, that ought not be the case. So I ask you the question this morning, what's the block in your being all in when it comes to your service to God? And why is it that it takes a hundred invitations before you finally say yes? And then I was in another conversation recently about ways that we can deepen our missional impact in our community and the missional efforts that we do in our world. You know, we do mission trips. We do a lot of good stuff in our community. We have what we call the Oakmont Community Center. That, that's kind of the, the name, the umbrella that houses a lot of good stuff. Literacy and tutoring for kids in our community. A medical clinic that meets twice a month on a Tuesday night now. English is a second language. A Tuesday night ministry that tries to reach out and care for, for folks who are homeless and or socioeconomically. Uh, they, they just need some encouragement and some assistance. We have a thing, an uh, organization, a group called Celebrate Recovery. Uh, that works with people with addictions of all kinds. People who have hurts and habits and hang-ups. And we need people who are called by God. Not called by the pastor, not called by the staff, but called by God. Who say, yes, I want to be involved, I want to serve. And so I just ask you the question this morning. What's the block? What's the block in terms of you being all in to your service to your God? And of course, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to realize that our generous financial gifts are also part of God's equation to fuel Christ's ministry in our church, our community, and in our world. And yet, as is the case with countless churches on this globe, our church also emerges from the summer months with a typical summer slump in giving, and that does harm to our ministry as a church family. So I just ask you the question this morning, what's the block? What's the block in your being all in, in your generous financial giving that makes a difference in the mission that we're able to accomplish together as a church? Now, you know this eclipse on Monday, August the 21st, the total solar eclipse, first one in 99 years in terms of our country seeing it coast to coast. 
The sad thing is these spiritual eclipses, these spiritual blocks occur daily in our lives. There are things or people or situations or decisions that we make or others make that come between us and God. Some of those blocks may include a lack of forgiveness or a bitterness that you have about some situation. Some of those blocks include being judgmental towards others, not treating people with the love of Christ. Some of those blocks may include an unwillingness to practice personal repentance. You know, the word repent means to change your mind. There's lots of things that I need to change my mind about. And one of the things I need to change my mind about is the numerous times where I fail to miss, where I do not, where I fail to miss the mark that God holds up for me to hit. And that's called sin. And every one of us in this room have sins that come in our way between us and God that needs to be confessed and we need to change our minds about the way we talk, the way we think, the way we behave, those attitudes of the heart. Lots of times, what blocks our relationship with God is that we don't stand still long enough to listen to Him. We don't have those daily and weekly times where we pray and we listen and we study God's Word. And there are a lot of us who really believe that, hey, I can show up in a place like this for worship and fellowship with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I can show up six, seven, eight, nine, ten times a year and my spiritual life will be nourished. But it doesn't make sense because you can't go but so many days without food, can you? Or water. Or else your body will die. What is it that makes us think that the soul and the spirit doesn't die? when we don't incorporate those times of worship and fellowship with each other. So I ask you the question, what is it that's blocking you from being all in? Another thing that happened this past week, I get the newsletter from the First Baptist Church of Montgomery, Alabama. Jay Wolf is the pastor there. Like me, he writes a pastor's column for his newsletter. So I got the newsletter this week and looked in it, see what he had to say. And this recent edition of his church's newsletter, he was writing about a young man in his church who is 12 years old by the name of Will Fiedler. Will Fiedler. Will did something that doesn't happen very often, I don't think, with pastors. Will called the church office and asked to speak to his pastor. Now, he's age 12. He called the church office and asked to speak to his pastor and said, Pastor Jay, I want to make an appointment to come in and see you. I don't have too many 12-year-olds that call me up and make an appointment. By the way, if you're 12 and you want to talk, call me. I'd love to sit down and talk and, and visit with you. Sometimes um, I find there's more productiveness in talking with a 12-year-old than with folks who are older uh, than the age of 12 because they're honest and they're truthful and they're transparent and they just tell it like it is. No motives, no agenda. We all want to make an appointment with his pastor. So he showed up with his, pa with his pastor and sat down and he brought with him some devotionals. 
some devotional kind of pieces that he had written during the summer, and he brought along two scripture verses that he wanted to share with Pastor Jay, and this is what he was going to do. He said, when school starts, I'm going to put these devotionals, and I'm going to take this scripture to my locker at school so that I can be reminded when I open up my locker, I think he's going to be like a rising seventh grader. When I go to school and open up my locker, I want to be reminded that God is with me and that I have given my life to him. The other thing that Will told Pastor Jay, he said, you know, I've got some friends who are about my age. They're 12, 13 years old. And, and they're engaged in some destructive, unproductive, unhealthy practices and activity and behavior. And Will told Pastor Jay, he said, you know, I really want to be a witness to them in, in what I say, in what I do, in my example, you know, in my words. I want to be able to tell them about Jesus. I want to be able to invite them to my church so that they can come to know Jesus like I have. Now, I've got to be honest with you, folks. I don't have anybody, and I hate to tell you this, but I don't have anybody from this congregation, generally speaking, who's making appointments with me or catching me in the hallway. And I don't have anybody who's saying to me, hey, I've got folks who need to know Jesus and I really need to witness to them. And I just want you to know it or I want you to pray for me as I do that. I got to tell you, I would love to have you start telling me that, but you're not telling me. Maybe you're doing it and I just don't know it. So my guess is Pastor Jay is sitting back in total shock. I mean, this 12-year-old has just rocked his world. He's come in with devotionals. I mean, I don't even have adults coming in with devotionals and Bibles, uh, scriptures coming to see me. He's coming in saying, I want to witness to my friends. I don't have adults who are coming in saying that to me. Pastor Jay has got to be sitting back in complete shock. And so he asked 12-year-old Will Fiedler, so Will, tell me, why are you doing this? What's the motivation? What's going on with you that you're concerned to tell your, kid, your friends about Jesus? You want to have these devotionals and scripture in your locker. And in Pastor J. Wolf's column, this is what he wrote that Will Fiedler said. Will said... After my dad died, and Will's dad died on January the 30th, 2012, which means that Will was about seven years old when his dad died. He said, after my dad died, I realized that we do not have an unlimited amount of time on this earth. We must use our time to serve the Lord. So my purpose is to bring other people to Christ. My dad's death is the worst thing that ever happened to me. But God has used it to help me follow close to Christ and seek to be a light that shines for Him. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know how you 
how you judge it. But in my book, Will Fiedler is all in when it comes to Jesus. There's no blocks. There's no barrier. He's not standing on the earth with an obstructed view of the sun. There's no eclipse. He is all in. He's not all in so much to his church as he is to his Jesus for whom Jesus died, the church. So that's the question I want to ask you this morning. What's blocking you from being all in? As the summer months fade into the rearview mirror and the fall months appear on the horizon, what are those new promises that you need to make to God? What are those, those new promises you need to keep? Lord knows we make a lot of promises to God. We just don't keep about, but about maybe 5 or 10% of them. What are those promises that you need to make to God, to keep to God, to be all in to your God, whose church is composed of imperfect people with imperfect motives that somehow, some way, surprise, 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 miracle of miracles, God uses us in our brokenness and our imperfection. So what is it you need to do to be all in? Let's pray together. And as we pray, I'd like for you to just take a moment to name and confess the sin of your life before God right now. You know, sin can block us and our relationship with God. Some sin, something we say we do, some attitude we harbor, things we think, desires and intentionalities that are not holy and pure, those are things that can block us from God and keep us from being all in. What do you need to confess to God this morning? What are those places of failure and inadequacy and weakness that slow you down and keep you from being all in? What ways maybe that you're a little spiritually lazy? What are the ways that you are spiritually indifferent? Or what are the ways that you've just assumed that the call of God to do something, to serve in some way, was for someone else, but it didn't have your name on it? What are those ways that God has gifted you and called you out to serve, to give in generous ways, but you're letting something block it right now? Name and confess those things to God in a moment of silence as we pray together. God, hear our prayers. And like this widow, help us to give generously, sometimes despite the things that we see that we don't like, that are imperfect. Help us, God, 
to be all in in our relationship with you. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.